a chat with Coach Sweeney, and he kind of put it into layman's terms where I felt was very informal and necessary at the time when he delivered them. It was, uh, you know, you can't, something to the extent you can't be hesitant or afraid to write a new chapter and what that might bring. And, you know, he looked at me, he's like, he's like, you've gotten a lot of football. Don't get to the point where it takes more out of you. On today's episode, Matthew's out of town. We have a guest host joining the show, as well as former Clemson wide receiver and military veteran Daniel Rodriguez. We also do our weekly fact or fiction and preview the Louisville game. That and much more on this week's college football show. This is the Nachos and Analysis College Football Show, presented by Nachos and Analysis. Welcome to episode 12 of the Nachos and Analysis College Football Show. Today is Thursday, November 10th, and the Tigers dropped their first game to an FBS independent school uh, for the first time since losing to Florida State in 1988 in the infamous punt Ruski game. Uh, I'm your host, Drew Archer. And today, no Matthew, I'm joined by guest co-host Juan Barco Robayo. Thank you for coming to the show. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, glad to be back on. You guys had me on uh, last time uh, when uh, we were talking about College Game Day, Clemson hosting College Game Day, talking about my experience there. And I'm glad to be back on the show with the co-hosting duties this time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So, yeah, we definitely appreciate that. Matthew is out in uh, Colorado again, so uh, I figured instead of taking a week off, we enjoyed having you on. Thought you'd be a, a great match for a co-host. So we appreciate yeah, you taking the time. Hopefully I can fill the shoes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to hit you with a hard question to start off. Um, what happened Saturday? What were your thoughts in Notre Dame the other night? Well, my my initial thoughts on Saturday night being a very upset fan first, more than uh, an analysis uh, guy, was uh, being very frustrated with the offensive play calling. I felt like very much so that first half, Clemson dug themselves a huge hole to get out of. Uh, Notre Dame necessarily wasn't throwing the biggest punches, but they were connecting with some of them. And it just felt like Clemson's offense just wasn't wasn't really connecting on any of their swings. And so speaking of swings, there was a lot of swing passes. We had a lot of the RPOs with a lot of them being incompletions, one of them being a fumble. And just DJ was never really able to get set into that game. Uh, the offense really didn't get any scoring until late in that game, and it's just really not a recipe for success, especially for a place that is as hallowed grounds as Notre Dame is. And Notre Dame having some you know, shaky losses to start, a brand-new head coach, you can't give them any ammunition, and Clemson gave them a lot of ammunition to start that game. Yeah, that's two consecutive trips to Notre Dame where the fans rushed the field on the Tigers. Yes. Uh, not what we wanted to see Saturday night. Uh, before I give my opening thoughts, I'm going to pause here and insert an audio clip for Matthew. Though he is in Colorado, he did send me a couple audio clips that we'll okay. put in here. Hey, what's up, Drew and Juan? Thanks for filling in for me in my absence. Uh, just real quick about the game. Obviously, this was horribly embarrassing. Our defensive strength, what we thought was our defensive strength, turned into their offensive strength. I think their quarterback completed, what, 85 yards of passer passes? 
come on. Uh, offensively, this was the most embarrassing play calling that we've ever seen. Uh, we had two weeks to come up with a game plan and ended up putting up zero meaningful points. We didn't score until we were down four scores. Uh, I thought the first half wasn't really that bad other than the special teams touchdown. Um, but the offensive game plan was just so bad and mismatched to our opponents, so you can't expect anything better. Also, this is not the first time in the last three to four years that we've seen Dabo be outcoached, and it really proves how much we've relied on out-talenting people for too long, and it's catching up to us right now because we can't out-talent people right now. Uh, I haven't really felt like this after a game since 2017 Bama or 2011 West Virginia. I know that kind of goes into your Twitter poll that you talked about, but or that you're going to talk about, but uh, just RIP to our whole program is my last note from the game. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Matthew. So my thoughts, um, kind of touching on what you, you said, Juan, there in the opening, play calling, turnovers. Um, you, Clemson did really, really well uh, with turnovers in those first, what was it, seven games? And then the last two, I think there was three in the first seven games and then five or six in the last two games. Clemson was able to escape and with a victory against Syracuse before the bye week a couple weeks ago um, with all those turnovers. But they found out quickly that you can't turn the ball over in a big road environment like that. That's that's where those uh, those turnovers come to bite you. Uh, I think the defense did a good job to start the game, but as time went on, Offense wasn't helping them out. They spent a lot of time on the field, um, and the run defense gave up 263 yards. Notre Dame had two 100-yard rushers the other night, and that was very uncharacteristic of Clemson. Um, but it was not the night that we had hoped for. I, uh, I like you, was a very angry Clemson fan. I spent way too much time on Twitter and message boards and – Ended up in some Twitter space at one o'clock in the morning uh, when I should have been in bed. So um, hoping the Tigers can get it turned around this upcoming week. Yeah, we'll see. It's going to be a uh, homestand to end out the season. Uh, three straight games in Death Valley, Louisville, Miami, then ending out the year with the uh, annual North South Carolina matchup there. But uh, a lot of question marks, I feel at least. Um, like you're saying, the turnover bug has come back in, in a huge way. Clemson, uh, in their losses, uh, especially recently, most of them being in the playoffs, whenever they are in the minus category with turnovers, it's where they have their losses. And mm-hmm. um, and it was indicative of, uh, in Notre Dame. And it's interesting as well, because like you said, it was coming off of a bye. And Dabo Sweeney, with time, typically is a uh, well-prepared coach. But give, uh, give props to Marcus Freeman. He had a really well-coached team out there. And it's a team that took advantage of the fact that Clemson wasn't clicking on off offense Clemson that was uh, giving away balls in important uh, situations and they took advantage of it with to a uh, 35 to 14 final score there for the fighting Irish mm-hmm. um, yeah you got a lot to work on this week Dabo Sweeney said when he walked into the room on Monday yesterday in his press conference that um, he saw disappointment pain frustration anger and that's what we as fans want to hear because that's exactly what we were feeling uh, around 7.30 last Saturday night. So oh, yeah. Uh, today's topics, 
Nothing crazy and out of the ordinary. Typical schedule. We're going to go over Matthew and I's week 10 picks. Um, I uh, expressed a sense of optimism with my picks last week. That came quickly crashing down, as we'll find out here shortly. Um, Our Twitter poll of the week, which broke another record. It seems like each week we're getting more and more interaction on these Twitter polls. I almost hit 1,000 votes this week, but which Clemson loss hurt the most? The options were 2022 Notre Dame, this most recent one. 2017 Alabama in the Sugar Bowl on New Year's Day, uh, 2013 Florida State when Jameis Winston and company came into Death Valley and whooped us, uh, and then 2011 against West Virginia. We'll break down those uh, results here shortly. Uh, we'll spend a little bit more time on the Notre Dame game. We'll uh, I don't know how long we'll spend on that. Um, depends on how 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 much we want to dwell on the negative. Uh, why yeah, exactly? <laughs> Later there's a lot of points there, a lot of points that can be put up, brought up. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, in honor of Military Appreciation Day, later in the episode, Daniel Rodriguez, former Clemson wide receiver and Army vet, is going to join the show uh, to talk about some mental health issues, his time at Clemson and Military Appreciation Day. So we appreciate him coming on. Uh, and then we'll look at the TigerNet media poll versus the college football playoff poll. Uh, that they started this week that Matthew and I are voters in. And as always, the fact or fiction section, I got a couple interesting ones in there. I'm interested to hear what Juan has to say about some of those. Um, then we'll give out our week 11 picks. Matthew has sent me his, and then Juan will also participate this week. We'll call him our celebrity guest picker this week. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> and then we'll talk some stats and talking points with Louisville. We'll give some predictions. And depending on how I'm feeling, I did record an instant reaction Saturday night. I may throw that in at the very end of the episode, depending on how I'm feeling when I'm editing this uh, podcast. I haven't gone back and listened to it quite yet, so I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what we're going to get, so I may or may not insert that at the end of the episode. Gotcha. So <laughs> we've got a lot to talk about, but um, one, we've kind of changed up how we gave out picks. I think when the last time you were on, I just kind of had some random games that I thought thought were interesting. We kind of gave our thoughts of uh, we've kind of since changed it up where each week Matthew and I give a favorite, an underdog and an over and an under pick um, and kind of keeping score. We're, we're supposed to come up with some kind of reward for the winner or punishment for the loser. We hadn't figured that one out yet, but currently I am the loser. Matthew and I've been neck and neck uh, since we've started it. However, with my optimism last week, with these picks also came defeat and failure because I didn't get a single pick, right? Yeah. Yeah. I noticed that in the notes. There's <laughs> <laughs> a lot of red underneath my name. So I did not gain, I did not gain on Matthew. I uh, now trail Matthew further. Matthew got two points. I'll kind of quickly run through these. Uh, he had, he missed on his favorite Wake Forest uh, was a uh, four and a half point favorite against NC state. Um, and then he missed on his underdog, Tennessee plus eight. Um, did you get a chance to watch that Tennessee Georgia game? I did, and you know what? Um, as I was watching it, the more I was just impressed with Georgia. Uh, Georgia had, you know, they they had the target on their back. They're the reigning national champions. They had the the number one uh, team according to the college football uh, playoff committee going into their house, and I mean, just took them to the rough shed, man. I mean, Georgia just handled it from the start. Hendon Hooker came in as a Heisman hopeful, and he struggled against that Georgia defense and Stetson Bennett. For uh, for all this hype that uh, Hendon Hooker and um, y, uh, Hyatt for Tennessee had, mm-hmm. he was delivering some balls and he was putting them right where they needed to be. I'm not sure if he's going to have a long career on Sunday, but on Saturdays he's been impressing me. Yeah, yeah, he had a 
he had a great game. Some of those runs that he did, especially that one run to the corner of the end zone. Oh yeah. Um, that game did not go how I thought it uh, would go. Um, I, I told Matthew last week that was the last week I was pulling for Tennessee after the they beat Georgia was when I was going to start rooting for them to fail, but they didn't quite <laughs> make it there. But um, Matthew did hit on his over and his under pick. Matthew's over pick was Texas and Kansas State over 54 and a half, and his under was Iowa at Purdue. Uh, 41 and a half. Um, I'll go ahead and throw you out everything I lost on. I had UNC as my favorite, the seven and a half point favorite. That did not come to fruition. Um, my underdog was Syracuse. I was counting on them to bounce back against Pitt. Also did not happen. Uh, my over was Tennessee, Georgia. Did not take into account the weather and the lack of Tennessee offense when I was picking that one. <laughs> and each week I say that I'm going to refrain from picking a – Pac-12 team uh, or a Pac-12 game for my under, and I continue to do it, and I continue to fail. So, um, Pac-12 after dark, you can't uh, you can't bet on it, can't bet against it. It's just a crapshoot that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, maybe my picks will go better this week. Who knows? Um, but our Twitter poll for this week, as I mentioned at the top, which Clemson lost hurt the most. Uh, before we reveal our answers, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts, Juan. Which one? I think you did comment on this, if I remember correctly, on Twitter. What was which one of those was was the the worst one for you? So I've had the misfortune of being present and in person for two of these matchups. That being the 2017 Sugar Bowl and the 2013 Florida State game. Uh, both of those in person were very painful, but. As much as there is recency bias to try to lean towards that Notre Dame game for what it means for this season, that 2011 West Virginia game hurt a lot. I was younger, so my emotions were more raw. I wasn't seasoned as much as a fan. But that 2011 game, uh, seeing, uh, I think it was Andre Ellington get all the way down to the one-yard line fumble and it get returned 99 yards, and then it just being a snowball of bad to continue from there, it's just it's hard to shake that one. And uh I mean, it ultimately launched Clemson to where they are now, but it's still the worst loss to me, in my opinion. Yeah, I I remember that game. I was excited. My wife and I met in high school and mm-hmm. the house she was living in at the time. Uh, we were already in. I think we were freshmen in college in 2011, but they had a, a new movie theater in their house. So I was excited to watch that Orange Bowl against West Virginia on this massive HD oh, man. Uh, movie, the nice <laughs> comfortable lean back movie theaters uh movie theater seats and um did not last long it was uh i think we i don't even think we finished the game no <laughs> uh, i i too was at that alabama and that florida state game the that florida state game in 2013 i believe that was the first game i ever left early oh wow uh, i think i came back briefly after halftime and then after i was like i'm walking across the street to so club so um <laughs> I'm going to go with 2013 Florida State as my um that the one that hurt me the most that was I we thought we were there. I remember I worked with a Florida State guy um when I lived back in Charlotte and we kind of he and I were kind of back and forth talking all week and uh I, Guinness Book of World Records was there for that game. Oh, yep. We were trying to break the the record for the loudest stadium and we were pretty loud up until that first play when we fumbled it. Uh, yep. So I, I, that one, 2013 Florida State, that one hurt. Um, I'd like to get your thoughts on that Alabama game, 2017. That was the one and only playoff game I went to. It was the one and only game I've ever been to, surrounded by Alabama fans. And I I know we lost. We didn't play great. I think who was it? Not uh, 
one of our receivers went down early was it T Higgins maybe or somebody but I don't know I was just excited to be there and be with the royalty of Alabama and just to be around their fans watch us compete against an Alabama team uh it sucked losing but it didn't I don't know maybe should have hurt me more than it did I I necessarily wasn't too hurt with that one either um I came when when I was outside of the Superdome I was looking around and it was a pretty good split between Clemson and Alabama fans. I was like, oh, you know what? This is going to be interesting. I want to see how raucous they are because I've I've experienced Carolina fans. I've experienced Florida State fans, NC mm-hmm. State fans, and I've seen how they can be kind of vitriolic. And Alabama fans, to their credit, as successful as they have been, as much success as they've had since the Nick Saban era has been, were very kind. At least in my experience, were very kind to Clemson fans. I even got a bag of peanuts, which was probably like 20 bucks in the Superdome. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, they were kind, but it was just uh, that game hurt just because Clemson couldn't get outside of their own red zone. They were mm-hmm. behind the 20-yard line the entire game, and they'd punt it out. Alabama would uh, would would get it in great field position. Clemson would hold as much as they could, and just uh, Clemson couldn't get out of their own way, scoring only six points that day. So it was that was my first Clemson game I've seen in person where they didn't score not one touchdown. So that one hurt for that reason. But it was a cool experience getting to drive down, visit New Orleans, get the mm-hmm. playoff experience, went to Dick Clark's the night before. It was fun for all of that. So that one softened the blow, I yeah. think, more so being in person for that. Yeah. I um, To your to what you were saying, I didn't have any issues with any Alabama fans. They were super nice, accommodating, friendly. Um, and it was just like they, they – they knew they were supposed to be there. It was like an annual thing for them that wasn't like, it didn't seem as big of a thing for them to be there as it did for us. And I think I've told Matthew this before. I don't know if I've ever mentioned on the podcast, but uh, my wife and I, we found a really cool the night. I think, cause I think that was new year's day the night before new year's Eve. We found mm-hmm. a really cool um, bar downtown that was had probably the best cover band I've ever seen in my life. And there was, it was tons of Alabama people in there. And people kept calling up there to get to play Sweet Home Alabama. They'd already played it <laughs> once. And finally, the guy got on the microphone, the lead singer. He's like, if y'all want us to play Sweet Home Alabama again, you're going to have to at least put up some cash. And he looked at one of his bandmates. He was like, what do we want to put on it for the, to play Sweet Home Alabama? And the drummer like piped in. He said, 200 bucks instantly. Instant. <laughs> two, random, two random dudes holding up single hundred dollar bills. And they they played it multiple times. They just kept paying them and paying them just to play <laughs> "Sweet Home Alabama" over and over again. Oh, that's hilarious! <laughs> yeah. uh, but so the results of this poll, um, there might be a little bit of recency bias. I've, a lot of people agree with your stance there, uh, but the winning, uh, and I don't, wouldn't say winning, uh, the worst of the losses uh, was in fact this Saturday. Thirty five percent of the voters said they thought that Notre Dame's game this weekend uh, was the uh, the loss that hurt the most. Um, Alabama in 2017 happened to coincidentally be 17% of the vote. Florida State in 2013, 22%. And then the game you mentioned, 2011, West Virginia, 26%. Um, maybe this is just me having 11 years to reflect on that game, that definitely hurt in the moment, but uh, there was a lot of good that ended up coming out of that game. So maybe that's why I uh, didn't go with that one. All right. So some Notre Dame review. Um, There were a lot of lows, not many highs. Clemson's winning streak concluded at 14. Uh, That was the fourth longest winning streak in school history. Uh, Prior to the game, Clemson clinched the ACC Atlantic title. 
and an ACC championship game berth uh, by virtue of Pitt defeating Syracuse. Um, Clemson currently is sharing a title. They can clinch it completely with a win this weekend against Louisville. Uh, but including uh, shared titles, Clemson has earned nine Atlantic Division titles so far. Um, I remember 2011 getting that that ACC championship, and it seemed like that was evading us as Clemson fans forever. Yes. I remember being so excited about that that championship, and now it's become almost an annual occurrence, and you almost take it for granted. Then last year, you don't make it. You know, I'm stuck sitting sitting here at home watching the ACC championship on TV when I'm normally in Charlotte. Uh, <laughs> I'm looking forward to having the opportunity to go back to Charlotte this year. Um, running back Will Shipley. This is one of the issues I had here. 12 rushes for only 63 yards. He did have a touchdown uh, and 17 yards on passes. Um, why did we run the, abandon the run with Will Shipley? That was one of my complaints. I don't know if you kind of noticed that. I, I know that hopefully here in the next week or so, we're getting Kobe Pace back to where we have more of a full stable there. We did mm-hmm. see some off in the second half, but only 12 carries for Shipley. I and, and you know, growing up the way I did, the first uh, Clemson teams I remember were those James Davis, CJ Spiller led teams. And I would like to see a bit of a Thunder Lightning matchup there with a uh, Mafa or Kobe Pace in the backfield with Will Shipley. I mean, DJ Uyungle is a very mobile quarterback. He's not, you know, lightning quick as uh, some of these other guys who are dual threats. But, I mean, he could run a triple option or a read option really well with these guys to where I think we could see some gashes on the sides with Will Shipley and right up the middle with Kobe and DJ. I think, uh, I mean, the armchair uh, was an armchair coach right here, but uh, I'd love to see some variations. Uh, I I, I was very frustrated with all these swing passes that we had. And like you said, we got away from the run early, and it seemed like we were putting the game a lot on DJ when Will Shipley has some broad shoulders to carry the team. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. And it – it's weird because, and I've heard a lot of people reference Clemson's offensive identity. Mm-hmm. What is Clemson's offensive identity? I feel like it changes from week to week. Like we, not once a season have we seen the amount of swing passes that we saw on Saturday. Um, I've, I've, I haven't really had much of an issue. There have been on a couple occasions where I've scratched my head with some things that that Streeter has done uh, so far this season, but that one really baffled me. Um, DJ, he completed 27 of, of 39 passes for 191 yards uh, with one touchdown and uh, one interception. Um, what were your overall thoughts of DJ's performance in comparison to the last time we saw him against Syracuse? He was able to get the downfield passes that he was allowed to throw out there uh, with most of those going towards Davis Allen. Um, you were saying about the offensive identity for Clemson, uh, starting out the year, we seemed to have a really good identity when we had the tight ends involved on the long range pass game, but I didn't see Brenningstool at all. We, uh, put it all on Davis Allen, uh, Bo Collins, you know, left at some point during the game, but, you know, he had some targets there. DJ wasn't as inaccurate as I saw him for Syracuse, but I felt was hampered by the choices we had by the fact that first down plays weren't really successful. And so you found yourself in a hole. And for a lot of times, I think Clemson was averaging for that first half on third down, third and 14. And that's just not a really good place no. to put anybody, let alone a quarterback who's kind of had to tussle a bit for his starting position with a freshman. But yeah, you referenced Brittingstool. Davis Allen was our 
probably our offensive MVP. Uh, he led the team with 60 rushing or passing yards or 60 receiving yards. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, Brennan Stool kind of absent. The the middle of the field was not not attacked, not till the fourth quarter, I don't believe it was, was that first pass to him down the middle of the field. Yeah. Um, and so it just, it's just kind of baffling to where we know that tight ends are working this year and then there'll be an entire game where we won't see a tight end really contribute in any way, shape or form. So I don't know. I don't, I think DJ definitely did improve. I, I remember what I was going to say. So, um, my question with DJ, I think he improved. My only thought on why we saw what we saw offensively from the play calling perspective was does Brandon Streeter not trust DJ to make the decisions? And is he taking it out of his hands by calling all those swing passes and and, and things like that? That's that could be my only thought. I don't know. That's the first time we've seen it this this season. I don't know if they thought that could be something that could get his confidence up. But as you saw a couple of times, he was throwing a laser on yeah. a 10-yard behind the line of scrimmage pass that <laughs> blowing past the receivers and running backs' hands. So yeah. um, I don't know if that was a great solution either. No, and, you know, uh, to, to to lighten the bit load a bit on DJ as well, he has not been gifted – as much as prior recent quarterbacks for Clemson with that standout number one, this guy's going to the NFL next year mm-hmm. talent at the wide receiver position. He's had a lot of passes this year. And, you know, last year you looked at what the product was and it's inaccuracy inaccuracy. He's answered that a bit to me this year outside of the Syracuse game where he's put these balls where they need to go. But whether it be developing the wide receiver talent or them just targeting, you know, in recruitments, tall guys that are Mike Williams-esque but necessarily don't have the Mike Williams hands where they get that hot ball coming towards them and it's just not being completed. And that's got to be frustrating as a quarterback when you know you've kind of got this magnifying glass from the whole fan base behind you. And anytime there's these drops, it's like, ah, DJ, but I don't think it's ah, DJ all the time. No, no, I totally agree. I feel like DJ's getting a bad rap, especially a lot of these national pundits that clearly aren't watching the game. They're just seeing DJ being taken out and and Cade being inserted. And um, so, no, I, I definitely agree with you. And I think a big part of it is the wide re- – we don't have anybody like those guys you suggested. Our receivers are not getting separation. We don't have somebody that's tall and fast and strong to be able to go up and get those those 50 50 balls um so and then that's why i think you've you've been resulting to have to to utilize the tight end and at times we we seem to forget we have those on the team so i think it was i think it was the florida state game we were having we had two and three tight ends on the field at one time and Mm -hmm. utilizing them like crazy and then hadn't hadn't really seen much of them since i mean obviously davis allen had a big game here but nothing across the middle um so I don't know. They don't pay me to be the offensive coordinator at Clemson. I just host a podcast. So yeah, <laughs> I'm just a Twitter guy. That's all I am. Yeah. <laughs> um, kind of sticking with that same topic. Joseph Ngata scored his second touchdown of the season on a four yard pass from DJ in the fourth quarter. Uh, Adam Randall recorded a career high two catches for 27 yards. Um, I thought and had hoped that we'd see him a little bit more healthy and kind of acclimated to the offense a little bit more at this point. Uh, but still, it's good to see him get out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, pun, punter Aiden Swanson recorded 
a a career-long 67-yard punt in the first quarter, shattering his career-long by 13 yards. Yeah, those Midwest uh, wins yesterday that uh oh not yesterday but over the weekend that hampered uh the Ohio State Northwestern game uh, definitely helped Aiden Swanson to get that record. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the game marked Clemson's first time allowing touchdowns via offense, defense, and special teams since 2007 against Virginia Tech. Yeah, and you know uh, that's another game there that uh. Maybe I'm just not the best good luck charm for Clemson, but I was there for that 2007 game, and it's uh, Clemson's, I think, only loss still at home wearing the all-purple with uh, this game coming up being an all-purple matchup. And uh, I think it's just uh, it's another one of those losses that kind of gets lost in the fray, but I think Clemson ended up maybe scoring only eight points that game, if I'm not mistaken, but it's just uh, that game there was another one of those that I just feel was a was a rough one for Clemson. And so we'll mm-hmm. see if they can't uh, continue their success at, at home with these all purples. Yeah, I I remember reading heading into this game. All about their special teams, their their ability to block punts and kicks and um, that if Notre Dame wanted to win or if Notre Dame could win, it was going to take an offensive, defensive and special teams effort and. That's exactly what happened um, yeah. from the, on the first drive. It, and it kind of set the tone. You had those two uh, holding pil- penalties by Bo Collins on that first drive, mm-hmm. then a block punt, and that was basically Saturday night in a nutshell. You could have watched the first <laughs> the first Clemson drive and could have got an idea there what was about to happen. Yeah. Um, and, and the the crazy thing about it was, I, if I'm not mistaken, it was 7 and nothing going into halftime, wasn't it? Or was it fourteen and nothing at that time? Like it was seven and nothing for it, a long it, time. Yeah, it was seven nothing for a long time. Yeah. Um. So it wasn't like Clemson was out of this game, and most of the time, most of the game, Clemson was in the game. Um. It just could not get anything going offensively. Um. One other thing that not here in our notes, Juan, but I don't I can't remember if we talked about it when you were on last, but. Uh, Matthew and I have spent a lot of time, and so is the Clemson kind of SID department, talking about the middle eight. In those games that Clemson's won in this this early season, those first seven games, Clemson has dominated the middle eight, and like especially that Florida State game. Mm-hmm. A lot of points scored there. The last two games, Clemson has virtually done nothing in the middle eight. Yeah, no, it's been an absent middle eight these last two games. In the Syracuse game, you know, uh, escaped with the win there and just couldn't do it against the Irish. And it, uh, the lack of the middle eight there, I think it's also very indicative that of, uh, of those two results there. Yeah. Uh, Clemson avoided a shutout. I remember tweeting that in the middle of the game because it was looking like the offense was not going to get there. Yeah, <laughs> uh, They did avoid a, a shutout. Uh, that's uh, 262 consecutive games without a shutout. One I'd like to, one streak I'd like to see keep going. Uh, the last time Clemson was shut out was in 2003, uh, and I believe that was against Georgia. Yes. Uh, and then kind of mentioned this one at the top. It's Clemson's first loss to an FBS independent since losing to Florida State in 1988 in the Punt Ruski game. Uh, Clemson had won 13 straight against FBS independents prior to Saturday. And, you know, interestingly enough, uh, Clemson did lose that 2020 matchup where DJ was uh, uh, put in the game with Trevor Lawrence having COVID-like symptoms where he was out. Uh, But Notre Dame wasn't an FBS independent. They were actually an ACC affiliate for that year and ended up playing in the uh, ACC championship in December. Yep, that's that little asterisk with that stat right there. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Technically, we didn't. 
Yeah, so I'm just glad that that season Clemson was able to uh, rectify that in the ACC championship um, because nothing would make me more mad than for literally Notre Dame to be in a in a conference for one year and win the conference that year. Yeah, that would make their fans that much more unbearable and that kind of stuff. So I'm glad Clemson at least that year was able to take care of business. <laughs> um. Did you have anything else on this on this big loss before we uh, try to turn the page? Well, like I said earlier, I'm a Twitter guy, and uh, you, you said you've been on message boards and all that stuff. I saw a lot of people, myself included, admittedly in the heat of the moment, calling for Brandon Streeter's uh, position to be opened up, let's say. <laughs> uh, I would like to see Brandon Streeter finish out this season and finish it out strong. I feel like there's been a lot of question marks. You know, Tony Elliott left before him, and uh, – you know, we've had uh, some question marks as to, you know, where have our issues been with some of our questionable play calls? And, you know, there's been some questionable play calls as of late when it's just been Streeter calling these. I would like to see a strong finish. I want to see some more variety. I would like to be like it to be where there isn't all these swing passes start a game. There's been, you know, a running joke that uh, if you're playing Clemson on defense to start, you know, protect the edges because you know exactly what they're going to run with the first play. And that's what happened with Notre Dame. And so. Variety, variety, variety. Uh, I don't know if Streeter's an avid listener of the Nachos and uh, Analysis podcast, <laughs> but if he is, variety, variety, variety. We believe in you and we want to see you succeed. But uh, losses are always going to be uh, viewed negatively. So hopefully we can get back in the win column there this weekend against Louisville. Yeah, I I like you. I was, I was not uh, too kind to Brandon Streeter on Twitter Saturday night. Um, frustrated the play column um i'd like to see what's going to happen here um a lot of people are like oh dabo's got to make a decision if you're one of those people dabo's not gonna quote unquote make a decision he hired brandon streeter he believed in him what does that say about dabo if he just after one year whoop this isn't going to work. I'm just going to fire him. That uh, dabo's never going to be that person that's not going to happen um so uh, I think those people need to uh, get their mind right because that ain't happening. Yeah, um, kind, of, kind of know your audience there. Know what you're getting with Dabo. Dabo's yeah. a very loyal guy. He's a very, you know, more than anything, he's successful. He's faithful. He is loyal. He's loyal to his uh, senior guys on the on the field, and he's also loyal to the guys that he uh, hires on. And that's uh, ever since, you know, when Terry Don Phillips gave him the head coaching position as an interim, he was allowed to get his own guys, and he believes mm-hmm. in his own guys. And unless they leave, you don't see a lot of firings there. I mean, Kevin Steele's a notable one. Chad Morris uh, went to go get his own position. But besides that, not a lot of guys are left because Dabo gives them a pink slip. Yep. Yep. So um, I'd say here on the Nachos and Analysis podcast, whether Brandon Streeter is a listener or not, we're going to turn the page. I know Brandon Streeter has already turned the page. Uh, but now we're going to look ahead to uh, the upcoming week um, and – what better way to start this this week off with an interview with Daniel Rodriguez? So here he is. All right, today we're joined by Army vet, Purple Heart and Bronze Star Medal recipient, actor, author, and former Clemson wide receiver Daniel Rodriguez. Welcome to the show, Daniel. How you doing, man? Thank you for doing having me. good. Thank <laughs> you for coming on. Um, in honor of Military Appreciation Day, we wanted to kind of have you on. Clemson does such a great job each year with Military Appreciation Day. 
uh, and, and wanted to have you on before that. So I, I read an article this week uh, about you. I think it was honestly probably a couple years old, but the article detailed uh, a quote of you speaking with one of your fallen friends, Kevin Thompson. Uh, and it said, quote, when I get out of this shithole, I'm going to play college football. Was football something that you thought of in those tough times of war? Was that kind of something you leaned on and kind of hoped for as you were uh, in those uh, not great circumstances? Truth be told, it 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 was it wasn't. I don't think it was something I leaned on to to be true to, to be really on it. It was more like something that I felt I had let go and had slipped away from. So it was almost like it was my carrot. It wasn't necessarily my crutch or my stability, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So like once I made a promise to him and just, <clears throat> cause I was tired of getting shot at, <laughs> I was getting tired of getting shot at. And I was like, you know what? Like I could have walked on, played somewhere. Like I wasn't very big, but I just, you know, I've been playing it my whole life and I just knew I was good enough or had, had the ability to, if I worked at it. And uh, yeah, once I made the decision, it was something that really stimulated my, my work ethic when i go to the gym after like because we had like a little gym on base and uh, i put the cop so after we like lights would go out and stuff like that we'd have to work out with chem lights in the dark sometimes um but i would just be motivated to work out in the gym because i was like you know if i get out of this shit home i go i'm gonna leave this promise and go make it make it but um yeah it was my carrot i wouldn't say it was more like my 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 uh support if that you know what i'm saying yeah so yeah that makes total sense yeah uh, the whole reason that uh, we reached out to, to set up this interview with you was your advocacy for for mental health for veterans. Um, you've talked about your struggles with PTSD and, de- and depression uh, before releasing that viral video that would ultimately get the attention of Dabo Sweeney. Um, what was your approach to dealing with these issues? And and were you able to kind of pull yourself out of those dark places? It seems like and you referenced working out. Was that a big part of it? Yeah, absolutely. And even still now, I mean, <clears throat> I try to get a workout in every day in some facet, but it still takes my mind away from things, right? Like it's so therapeutic for me. Um, but before, yeah, I, I, I didn't know how big of an impact it would have on my life because before, I, I mean, I, and I still struggle with PTSD at times, but um, yeah, before Clemson and all that, when I got out, I didn't really have anything going for me. Like I was really in a rut of life questioning a lot of things, especially just survivor's guilt type stuff. I didn't do enough to bring my buddies home. Um, and then kind of just checking out for a few hours and really focusing on you, right, at its at its pinnacle. And that's like your physical fitness or health. It was bringing a lot of happiness and goals back into perspective and reality. So <clears throat> I am a huge advocate um, for working out or being active as a form of mental health treatment. I think they go hand in hand. I think you need to exercise your mind away from or in other trajectories of healthiness other than just sit and dwell on what you've been through or might be feeling at that time. Um, so <clears throat> it was always that switch for me. I'm like, you know what? Like when I sweat, I feel a lot happier. So I'm just going to continue to push this. And, you know, I was trying to play division, you know, or, or just a division, some level football. So I need to get in shape. So <laughs> it just kind of helped that it would relieve, alleviate a lot of stress I was going through and also um, getting myself prepared for the journey I was, I was embarking on. Yeah, absolutely. And what, <laughs> what was that transition? Like uh, you, you referenced kind of being in, in a dark place coming back and then you, you 
find your find your way working out you're getting getting better mental health wise what's the transition from going getting shot at like you referenced to ultimately then then playing in a stadium full of 80,000 people uh playing big big time college football what's that transition like man uh it's pretty pretty wild and surreal to be honest and truthfully i mean i think we we can all say that the circumstances were pretty unique like that's not necessarily the <clears throat> the path taken or the way to that most college athletes start playing football right so um yeah i mean i went from like working out and putting together like a workout video that i wasn't sure what was going to happen with it um but it was just you know kind of really betting on myself and i mean there were a lot of other schools who didn't accept me so clemson was really stuck their neck out there coach sweeney it's called a 2-4 transfer waiver compliance office stephanie ellison all those people um andy campbell at the time they were i mean they had they were really on top of getting the ACC waiver, the NCAA waiver, and the 2-4 transfer process because other schools were like, no, just finish your associates and then come. And Coach Sweeney was like, no, we want you in the locker room as soon as we can. So really in the realm of any kind of paperwork, you could say it was overnight, right? So within the next calendar year, I was – the season ended and by that following July, I was on campus for summer workouts going into spring ball or into training camp. So, and then we opened up against LSU that year in the Chick-fil-A, Chick-fil-A kickoff. So yeah. And I was on special teams. So my, you know, I went from combat shooting, getting shot at like a year and a half later, I was running down on opening kickoffs against LSU. Just <laughs> That's gotta <laughs> yeah. be insane. Yeah, it was, it was pretty, pretty, pretty wild <laughs> i remember calling my buddy and uh he played division two ball in nebraska and we fought overseas together and he was super athletic and you know all the company games and stuff like that we would always like i said i was an athlete so like it wasn't just a new venture for me it was like you know just something i left um he's like bro you gotta do don't think about things like you got nothing to lose <laughs> i was like man he's right so every time we'd kick off i would just haul my ass and just ready to throw my body on the line wherever I needed to. Like, I didn't care if I got hurt at that point. I, I, I made it. So. <laughs> One of your more memorable moments uh, of your career at Clemson was on military appreciation day. When, when you led the the team down the hill with the American flag, what, what were some of your favorite moments of, about playing college football? Is it something you worked hard for uh, and, and strive for, for a long time? What, what were some of your, your favorite moments once that kind of came to fruition? Uh, I mean, there's a few, uh, you could, you know, incorporate the wins, the orange bowl win was great against Ohio state. Um, but I think a lot of the friendships I made and just kind of, you know, back to the mental health thing, like having that new chapter in my life develop and grow, um, was really encouraging and I think necessary. So just the environment of the locker room, um, I really, I mean, I had a solo tackle against NC State. Like, that was my first solo tackle. Like, I felt like Ray Lewis talked to our team before we took the field. And I just, I was on a new level of amp after we got his motivational talk and went down, made my first career solo tackle. And I, and I totally attribute that to Ray Lewis's like chat. So that's always been a memorable, memorable thing. You know, my touchdown was great. Like, I'm happy to, I'm so, you know, awesome that I scored, but, you know, I think we we're up 40 in the fourth quarter and it was some light. So it wasn't as much as that was memorable. It wasn't, that wasn't like my takeaway moment from football. There's, there's some other tidbits where I felt like I had, or I had earned and, and like solidified myself in, in, in other subtle ways as, as a teammate. 
and as a as a contributor to special teams you know i mean i was a second leading punt returner for a lot a lot of time now granted i was the only other one behind sammy watkins and adam humphreys at the time but you know i was still back there returning punts like and that's you know it's something that i i excelled in and i was number two on the on the depth chart on the depth chart for two of my last two years so that was something really cool for me just to always be ready um that was the next guy up for punts which again you know, might not seem like a lot to everybody, but I took that away as some of like the coolest moments. Like I was working my way onto the field and uh, just trying to do the best I could and, and help the team. Yeah, absolutely. There's that returning punts is one job that I do not envy. That's got to be, you got people running full steam ahead at you. You got to, you're trying to locate a ball, try to catch a ball. Uh, I, I do not envy it. That takes a lot of skill and a lot of, uh, and, and calm under pressure. Uh, yeah. So, so since since you uh, left Clemson, uh, you had a brief stint with with the St. Louis Rams. You wrote a book, "Rise: A Soldier, A Dream, and a Promise Kept." Uh, we're in a started a movie, "The Outpost." Uh, played yourself. It was a star in Orlando Bloom. That was honestly, I love uh, war movies. That was one of my favorite. I remember when it came out, my wife and I sat down and watched it that probably that first night we could. And so what you, you put all this effort into training to be uh, a college football player after post military career, what is it like transitioning from football after that? Was, was that difficult? Yeah, it was. Cause I felt that I got concussed against uh, Kansas city and I just, as a, competitive nature winner whatever you want to call it um you don't want to go out on that kind of play so it was it's always been a lifelong dream to play football or to play professional football you know watch monday night football sneak down like my house was very pro or pro sport oriented my sister was a big sport athlete in college my father would have told you he wanted world-class athletes like i grew up in the gym every sport so i had a pitching machine when i was like four and i would have to turn around and he would launch pitching machine fly balls. I was ambidextrous too, still am, but um, now I'd have to turn and then locate the ball and catch them. So that really turned well into my punt, my punt return skills as a kid. I'm, I'm very natural, just adjusting to, to the flight. So when I got to St. Louis, Tavon Austin hadn't made it through a season healthy. And so again, that was my, really my niche in. Nobody else was returning punts that they had brought in um, on an undrafted free agency. Um, so I was out there and, uh, just doing my thing, like trying to earn the team. Um, but yeah, it, it was, it was, it was, a, it was a great journey. Again, the environment being at the professional level, seeing how those rooms work is just experience and also just enjoyment that I, I can never, that won't ever leave me or my memories. Right. So, you know, I wanted to make that roster. I made it to the fourth and final cut until I was concussed and I, I I believe I had a solid chance of making the team. Um, and then when it ended, you know, I went back and did a second pro day, pro day at Clemson because um, I was still holding on to a dream. And then I actually had a, a chat with Coach Sweeney, and he kind of put it into layman's terms where I felt was very informal and necessary at the time when he delivered them. It was, uh, you know, you can't – something to the extent you can't be – hesitant or afraid to write a new chapter and what that might bring. And, you know, he looked at me, he's like, you've gotten a lot out of football. 
um, and it's brought a lot for you. Don't there's something. Don't don't let it. He's like you've gotten a lot out of the football. Don't get to the point where it takes more out of you. Um, to something to that extent. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was and it was really wise, was like words of wisdom. Uh, and I kind of left that meeting knowing I probably was never going to play the sport again. Truthfully, there was probably a one percent to two percent thought of me. Well, I don't really remember because I was concussed. But even thereafter, like I'm going to get back. Like they actually offered me a severance. Right? They offer you. I, mean, I would have mixed six, four to six games. They offer you a severance per game on the waiver. We have to sit out those six weeks before you can come back and get play, resign or go to another team. And I declined. It's one of those things I ever did. I declined all that money because I was so adamant about no i'm good i can go back next week and make this happen mm-hmm. and so i declined it so i wouldn't be put on that waiver waiver list of injured people for the next six weeks so you know went back talked to Sini, had all this come up and then it was you know just the realization that i needed to move on i was on the speaking circuit at the time i mean i still am um but yeah there were just other things that were that i felt were needed for me to attain um and kind of, I couldn't do that if my life would have been chasing that, that carrot of football still. And I think it, I think I had gotten the taste I needed of that carrot, uh, and was happy to, uh, to start new, to new beginnings after, after the sport of life of sport. Right. So. And that's one of those things you hear from, from all kinds of athletes, whether it be college <laughs> athletes, professional athletes, when that time comes, uh, that it's over. I'm. Mean, it's, it's a difficult time. Uh, it's something you've done your whole life. Um, when I initially reached out to you uh, about joining the podcast, it was for more a serious, somber uh, a reason. You posted on Twitter a couple of weeks ago about the loss of your friend, and and since coming home from war, you've lost nine comrades to suicide. That really stuck with me. It's something I I think unfortunately gets overlooked when people return home. Uh, what changes need to happen? What what can be done to prevent more lives from, from being lost to suicide with our veterans? Man, I mean, it's kind of, it's a lot, you know, I mean, I think the help is developing. I think we need to be more open to other types of treatment, but if we're really working upstream down here, we got to prevent conflicts, right? We got to prevent sending our youth from 18 to 22 years old into hostile environments that are, that are really life changing and you come back like people, the normal person that has never been in gunfights or have seen people bleed out that you know and love, like really bleed out, like lose body parts and limbs. And it's, it's real. Like it's, this isn't, this isn't, you know, this isn't a respawning game. Like there are, there are traumatic things happening. Um, and then you come back to an environment such as the States that in my opinion, it's got a lot of makeup in a lot of places. Yes, there's services that, that, that are there and tangible, but then also so there's a lot of, there's a, for me, the reason, I, you know, I brought some the reason I don't live in the States right now. There's time, there's times where I feel unsafe because I know I have in the back of my head and it's a post-traumatic thing is like, there are more guns than people in this country. Right. Like, so it's like, I'm on edge because I have been in combat. And to me, when I think of that statistic, I feel like I'm in a combat zone. And so it's, it's just a hard adjustment and that's for a lot of other people. So I think the atmosphere that veterans come back into need to be understanding of what they went through and then the approach of treatment and therapy, you know, I'm very open to psychedelics and a very big advocate of them. I think they're 
tremendous and on the front edge, the precipice of really making change. Um, you know, 10 years ago, people would have laughed at you if they said medical marijuana was going to be where it is today. Right. And I think it's going to be the same in the psychedelic space with mushrooms and other plant medicine for returning veterans in combat, um, especially with combat uh, experience. So, you know, I would love to stop conflicts into some regard, um, but also just be open um, to thinking of what can, what, what can help change or what can help these veterans that come home, because it is, it is really, really sad that, uh, you know, we send soldiers off and then they come back and as, as well as everything might seem, it really isn't. So, and it's tragic. Even I was just in Tampa working. I was telling you on the, on a play green beret wrote it <clears throat> and the cast is mostly veterans. And, uh, one of my buddies I actually fought with in Iraq is on the show and I didn't even know it. And so we like linked up and then the second day filming or the second day rehearsing, uh, they got the news that one of the guys who was hosted a show, who was like a big fan of it, he did five tours of the Green Berets with the guys. Like he was a big advocate for it. He took his life. It was just like, they're just dropping all around us. Like, and I didn't know the guy, but it impacted the entire crew and set because they knew him. And, you know, what you endure when you come home to, and then just the ability to not process or feel complete or worth living is a very tragic and sad way to live um, and be, and be consumed by. So, you know, I think we just need to take more measures and more um, chances um, in, in different types of therapies and ecosystems that, uh, can help change these statistics. And again, you know, I'm not saying if we weren't without a war for the last 20 years that our suicide rate wouldn't be like this, but we have been at war for 20 last years <laughs> and our suicide rate is, is, where, is where it is. So, um, yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot that impacts, especially a lot of these guys. And I, I would have been in that same category when I did four years, man, four years of my time, 27 months of those 28, 48 months were in combat. I had more time in combat than I did stateside. And one of my deployments, my unit was 15 months. So you're sending some of the Marines and special ops guys to do three to six month tours. We're doing 15 months in a year, like of day in and day out. And then it's, you get just like the good old saying is two weeks a year, you know, paid leave. They send you home for two weeks and you got to come right back. It's hectic. It's really hectic. And things change when you're gone. People change when you're gone. So not only has your mental state taken a suffering and beating, but then you come back and, and potentially your reality or your loved ones have changed on you or have left you <laughs> or, you know, people's kids don't want to hug their father because the father, because it just looked different to them. You know, they're, they're, there's years missed there from four to eight. Sometimes, you know, these kids don't know their dad in the most critical times and they come back and their relationships are shot and then their fathers are messed up from war. So there's just like these compounds sometimes of these, these really, really sad tra tragic situations. And we have the easiest means now to take our lives. And, you know, I guess, you know, you could rope it over whatever, but you know, our people are just, there's no coming back from a gunshot wound in the head. You know what I mean? It's just so easy, readily available and easy. And most vets own firearms. Um, it's just, you know, it's, it's not a good recipe. So I feel there's a lot, there's just a lot that we can do to help um, and hopefully alleviate 
uh, some of the hemorrhaging that, that is coming from the veteran community and dying, dying out on this. So, yeah. And the, the point you made about the, the two weeks off that that's gotta be a shock to the system. And it probably the, a two week period where you probably can't even like enjoy your two weeks at home with your family and loved ones. Cause you're going from one intense situation to something completely different, knowing you're about to go back. And mm-hmm. I can imagine that's, that's probably a hard aspect of it, of just getting two weeks off to have to know you're going back. Yeah, it's horrible. Uh, and I declined my leave in Iraq. And so I came out of basic um, and had used all my leave up. So you get like, it's something like a day and a half or two, three days. I think it's two and a half days a month. And that turns out, that comes out to 30. So you earn like 30 days of leave a year. Before we let you go, uh, I want to sincerely thank you for your service and sacrifice this, this country and, and also coming on the podcast. But wanted to ask for, for myself and, and for our listeners, uh, are there any organizations or um, ways that we can help with the mental health of, of veterans coming home? Uh, where, where can we point our efforts, our money? What, what can we do? You know, I work with... Um... A, a, a non-profit is called heroic hearts and it's kind of the next level of um in my opinion treatment for post-traumatic stress and just traumatic brain injury and any kind of trauma really really deep trauma um and it's it's called heroic hearts project but it sends veterans down to peru um and you disconnect from everything there's no i mean there's electricity but you don't have your, there's no wife. You I mean, you're in the jungle. It's very thick and just being in that realm. And then on top of that, they do ayahuasca ceremonies, which is a, a, a plant medicine, which is a psychedelic space, but it's, it's super powerful. You purge every time, you know, I've done it seven times now in my life. Um, I plan to go back annually. Uh, I think it's something um, just really, really life changing. Um, that's what I support and kind of put my efforts into. Um, I used to, I've done work with team RWB, which is team red, white, and blue. Um, and their entire, uh, mission is to, uh, connect veterans with outdoor activities, getting running in marathons and group and, uh, group events, which in my road with struggles, therapy wasn't really for me. You know, I had to connect with, to nature and get outside and be active and be physical. So truthfully, I tell people this a lot, you know. I don't like to or feel like I have the the power or the desire to tell you what you should do. I tell people to do their research and, you know, find something that is fitting for them and what they want to put their efforts or, or money into. And that and that and that's really what it's about is the care and cause. Like, you know, I I know you can always go above and beyond in some facets, but to me just having a desire to want to help and, you know, doing a little bit of research on what veterans go through and what organizations are helping. Um, I think it can make a world of difference and just having, you know, an open uh, heart to what we have gone through. Um, Especially those of us who've seen a lot of combat. Um, You know, we got a long, we still got a long road ahead of us. It's not something that just can flip the switch on. So, yeah, you know, I, you know, those are the two that I've worked with, Royal Cards and Red Team RWB, and really just the uh, the general population or the civilian side, um, just understanding um, where we're at in our lives and, and what we've endured and, you know, as a country coming together. Um, and if we can on one thing is, you know, the, the health and wellness of those who have, who have fought 
you know, on, on foreign soil for, for this country's democracy. Right. So, yeah, I think that's kind of just how I like to tell, tell people. And, um, I appreciate anybody who takes the time to just, uh, listen, learn and observe and, and try to make a difference any way they can. That's awesome. And appreciate it again, Daniel, uh, for our listeners. If you haven't already pick up his book, rise a soldier a dream and a promise kept as well as the outpost uh it's a great movie an eye-opening movie uh we appreciate your time daniel i appreciate you thank you all right thanks to daniel rodriguez for coming on check out his book rise a soldier a dream and a promise kept as well as the outpost both a great book and a great movie um getting you in the spirit for uh military appreciation week so all right, so last week, uh, the college football playoff came out with its first rankings. Uh, along with that, Ryan Cantor, friend of the show, uh, with TigerNet, started putting out a Clemson media poll that uh, uh, Matthew and I are members of, uh, as well as a handful of other radio hosts, podcasters, writers, that kind of stuff. So um, Matthew and I each voted this week in that, uh, and Ryan's been releasing those, I think, Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, right after the the CFP kind of puts theirs out, but um, what was your initial reaction to to the college football playoff poll last night? Were you surprised by where Clemson was still in the top 10? What were your thoughts? You know, honestly, I was a little surprised to see Clemson still in the top 10, uh, given, you know, that the committee is a lot, you know, unlike the BCS and the Harris poll where it's a computer, computer, like digitized, uh, it's, eyeballs you got actual people watching these games um you know some people say they don't watch these games but you know they're hired to do this thing i imagine they take it seriously so the eyeball test is very important and uh given the last week against syracuse the kind of thud of a performance that they had this week against notre dame i did expect clemson to drop out of this uh top 10 but to see them ahead of teams like uh miss old miss and ucla that have similar records as them and uh seeing that they're still in the top 10 Let's me know that uh, this committee does respect where Clemson is and isn't quite as panicky as the fan base has been. And, you know, even myself, who would have put them at a number 12 spot? Yeah, I'm right there with you. In in this poll, I did, in fact, also rank uh, Clemson 12. Um, I, I, I did not expect them to be uh, top 10. But, however, I told my wife when we sat down, we had just finished dinner. We were putting it on. I honestly forgot that with all the Election Day stuff I had yesterday oh, yeah. off from work, I honestly forgot about, oh, it's, this is the night. So we happened to quickly turn it on. And right as I was watching the intro and all that stuff, something like told me, I was like, you know what? They thought pretty highly of Clemson last week, put them in the top four when a lot of people probably would have put them at five or six. I bet they're probably going to keep them in the top ten, and that's what they did. So. Um, the college football playoff poll last night, uh, no surprise really in the, uh, the top, top three, uh, Georgia one, Ohio state two, Michigan three. Um, I was hoping to see TCU get there at four and they did, um, Tennessee drops to five, Oregon six, LSU seven, uh, USC eight, UCLA, um, Oh, so I'm going out of order. UCLA was 12. Who was nine? Alabama was nine. Alabama was nine. Okay. Yep. And then Clemson rounded out of 10. Do you have any issue with a two loss Alabama team being ahead of Clemson? I personally do not because I think Alabama is vastly better than than Clemson is right now. You know, uh, I don't have a problem with them being ranked uh, ahead of Clemson, but I have them at my 11 spot rather than at this nine spot. I have them outside of the top 10 
solely for the reason that they're a two-loss team that just suffered their second loss, as opposed to LSU, who's a two-loss team who's kind of earned their way back into the committee's top 10. Yeah. Ironically enough, in my poll, um, I'll kind of give mine out. I had Georgia 1, Ohio State 2, Michigan 3, TCU 4, Tennessee 5, Oregon 6, LSU 7, USC 8. I had Alabama at 9, um, UCLA 10, Utah 11, Clemson 12, Ole Miss. I know they're a one-loss team. I as bad as Clemson's been as of lately, I I I don't I don't think Ole Miss can beat Clemson. Uh that uh North Carolina 14 and Penn State 15. So Juan, your what was your top 10? Uh so for my top 10, a uh, little bit of a difference at the bottom and even in the top five here. I'm starting out with uh Georgia. Ohio State, Michigan as my top three. I think those are the definitive top three teams in the nation. Very mm-hmm. much looking forward to that Big Ten matchup at the end of the year. Yeah. I still have Tennessee in my top four, and I have them above TCU only slightly, and it's because of their strength of record. I understand that they lost against a Georgia, you know, given the, where it is right now, I think Georgia would still beat Tennessee in the in a playoff scenario with it's a one versus four. But TCU has had some come from behind wins, and they've shown grit for it but it's the wins that I think Tennessee would have ran away with. So mm-hmm. I think overall product, Tennessee is better there. Um, at the sixth spot, I've got Oregon. I didn't expect them to be there um, given how badly they lost to Georgia to start the year. Um, then I've got UCLA at my seventh spot, LSU at the eight. Um, I think LSU is a really good team, but those two losses hampered them, at least in my rankings. USC, Southern Cal at my nine. And then top 10, I'm going to finish with Ole Miss, Above Alabama and Clemson, purely for the record, I think Alabama and Clemson are possibly better teams. We'll see this weekend with Ole Miss playing Alabama, but I'm going to have Ole Miss rounding out my top 10. Yeah, I think that's interesting. I had wondered if they were going to keep Tennessee there at that four spot. Um, nah, I could I could see an argument either way. TCU at four, Tennessee at four. Uh, I think either like one deserves said, it. Their, the resume Tennessee has had up to this point, beating Alabama, going into Death Valley, and, and absolutely demolishing LSU. Um, yeah, I, I don't see any issue with that. Uh, uh, Georgia, two teams that Georgia has beat currently sitting there in the top ten, Tennessee and Oregon. And after that that first week game when, when Georgia um, beat Oregon the way that it did, um, you got to feel pretty good as an Oregon fan bouncing back and, and being in that top six. Yeah, and you got to feel good as Bo Nix as well. Uh, last time I was on here, I cast aspersions against him, and, you know, he showed out that week, and he's still been showing out. So uh, Oregon and Bo Nix both looking pretty good and, you know, have an outside track here, I think, to a college football playoff berth if something shake their way. Yeah, I I don't, I'm not sure. I, I feel like you probably follow him. I feel like I've seen y'all interact on Twitter before. Tea time. On there, he was he was a maybe not. He's a big, he was a guest on the show. He's big on mm-hmm. Twitter. He was a big Bo Nix hater. He 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 had a couple <laughs> comments about Bo Nix when he was on himself. So, um, <laughs> but shout out to Tea Time. Um, next, Factor Fiction. Factor Fiction. Factor Fiction. Jeff Scott ends up back at Clemson in some way or fashion, and I didn't really put a time limit on that. But he mm-hmm. was uh, – the news came out that he was let go at uh, um, South Florida this week. Uh, fact or fiction, does Jeff Scott in some way end up back here in Tigertown? I'm going to say fiction. I think uh, Jeff Scott has uh, moved on from the program. He took on that head coaching position because he thinks that he's head coach material. Uh, South Florida is a tough program. They haven't really been good since uh, – 
I think the year that they beat Clemson in the Meineke Car Care Bowl or the, just before that with uh, Quentin Flowers, I think it was. So uh, it, it's not the best program to get your first head coaching gig. He gave it his best shot. And I think he's going to continue trying to venture for some uh, self opportunities instead of coming back to what he knows. I'm going to agree with you there. I'm going to say fiction. I know that a lot of Clemson fans, the second they saw that news, everybody was like, get Jeff Scott on the phone. Yep. <laughs> um, I think that even if Jeff Scott wanted to come back to Clemson or reached out to Dabo, that Dabo might even tell him no, not because Dabo doesn't love the guy, doesn't know what he's worth, but I think Dabo would know that, hey, this he is head coaching material. He didn't have the best shake at things there at his first gig, but that's one thing I've started to think about and realize. I mean, it's tough being a, a head coach for the first time. You're seeing – uh, Tony Elliott, Tony Elliott went into a tough position. You're seeing it with Brent Venables. You saw it with uh, Chad Morris. Um, uh, not many guys succeed in their first go around, but I definitely think Jeff Scott's going to be a head coach um, again. Will he maybe take take a step back and uh, do a maybe join uh, Nick Saban and in, in uh, Tuscaloosa to the the old head coach rehab facility they got there. Yeah, they definitely got an assistant to coach pipeline going on in Tuscaloosa, definitely. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I say fiction. I don't think we see Jeff Scott back at Clemson, maybe other than just a, a spectator. Uh, but what a tease that would be if uh, you see just Jeff Scott around Clemson this weekend for Military Appreciation Day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fact or fiction. Time is here. It's time to bench DJ and put in Cade. I'm as well going to go with fiction here. Uh, I, I sang DJ's praises earlier, and I uh, and I meant what I said. I think DJ's an actually really good quarterback. I think it was a bit unfair, uh, both to DJ and Cade, to put Cade in the situation he was put in South Bend, that one drive leading to a pick six. Oh, not a pick six, but an interception deep into a Clemson territory that led to a touchdown and immediately pull him. I think Cade's a young guy, and, uh, you know, he, he, he needs time to get some practice out there. He's already burned his uh, – redshirt amount of games and so he'll probably see some time over these next three games I personally would not like to see him start I think DJ needs to ride this one out barring uh hopefully not an injury or barring you know really awful play which I don't think will happen yeah I agree with you here too um I say fiction you saw signs of improvement with DJ this week and I agree wholeheartedly with that that sentiment that it was unfair to DJ and Cade what they put both of those the position they put both of those guys in Saturday night if you're going to make the decision to pull Cade, you got to make the decision to stick to Cade. Mm -hmm. And not to mention, that was the series before. You could tell that they decided, okay, we're going with Cade this series. They may even decided that in, in the locker room at halftime. But DJ had his best drive prior to that. Then you pull, then you pull him, and then you throw Cade in there on the four-yard line roll to the, the left when he's a right-handed quarterback and you already saw what happened with that against Syracuse. He didn't, didn't, didn't throw an interception, but same type play took a, a, a 10, 10 yard loss, I think. Um, mm -hmm. Cause he outran his blocking on that play. So uh, I think that was really unfair. I think if you ask the coaching staff, they would probably like to have that one back. That was one of the many decisions that I kind of left me scratching my head Saturday night, but I think this yeah. is DJ's team. We've seen this year that he is not the same person he was last year. You saw um, an uncharacteristic game against Syracuse. You saw improvement this past week. Um, I don't think all of the woes were on DJ uh, in this loss to Notre Dame. So I'm saying fiction, keep DJ out there. Um, 
he's the leader. He's the, the team loves him. They rally behind him. So I think that it's, I think we're going to see an improved DJ and I think we're going to hopefully see an improved offense this week. Yeah, hopefully so. All right. Last one. And I think I know how you feel about this one, but fact or fiction Clemson breaks out the purple Jersey and orange britches combo Saturday for military appreciation day with the chance to win the division outright. Yeah. And you know, uh, I'm going to go with fact here. It's a, it's the championship phase for Clemson. You know, uh, a loss last week doesn't take that away. And so what we see with these games uh, historically is that the uh, orange britches come out when something uh, is to be clinched, whether it be the state, whether it be the division or uh, something deeper, like a championship or a playoff game. Britches should come out. Uh, me personally, that is my favorite Clemson combination. Uh, like I said, I grew up with the uh, CJ Spiller, James Davis, uh, those days when we had a lot of uniform variety. I think my very first game was the 2003 or 2004 NC State game where Clemson was wearing purple on orange. It's my favorite one. And I love that purple gets utilized once a year. I'd love to see it get used more purple on orange this weekend. Book it. All right. I'm going to disagree with you. I'm going to say fiction. Um, I personally, I'm going to disagree with you on a personal. I do not like that combo. I'm very Ugh. simple. I'm very simple when it comes to uniforms. If you ask me my favorite uniform combinations in college football and NFL, they're going to be boring answers like Alabama, Green Bay, Dallas. Like I just like Ugh. very simple, consistent <laughs> looks. Uh, I think that probably my favorite Clemson uniform combination combination is either all white or the orange on white at home. Now, so um, you're the one that's in Dabo's ear. I see now. Yes. <laughs> so, and speaking of Dabo, I know this is the standard we follow: orange britches for for clinching championships and divisions. Uh, and I know purple is reserved for Military Appreciation Day. Part of the reason that Clemson got away from these uniform combinations and that kind of stuff when Dabo took over was he's like, hey, we got a lot to worry about. And uniform shouldn't be one of them. And he kind of set the standard orange jerseys, white pants at home, all white on the road, orange whenever we're playing for something and purple on military appreciation day. So I'm going to say fiction because I think Dabo, if he sticks to what he said over the years, he doesn't want uniforms being a distraction. Mm-hmm. Um and Clemson had been playing as great as of late. So I think the talks of uniform changing might be a distraction. I will note this. Um, DeAndre McDaniel, mm-hmm. this week on Twitter, posted a picture of him wearing that purple jersey and orange pant combo whenever he played. Mm-hmm. And with the uh, the eyes emoji and saying championship phase, he went back and deleted it and then oh, posted man. it again with a different caption. And it started kind of, uh, taken off on Twitter and he quote retweeted and was like, Hey guys, this isn't any kind of confirmation. I'm just hoping just like y'all are. So <laughs> at least one coach on the staff is hoping for that uniform combination. So we'll see. You know, and also talking about Dabo's wanted to step away from, you know, the uniforms being the attention and whatnot, kind of the start of these orange britches being a part of the importance was that I think 2012, 2013 Ohio state orange bowl Clemson came out, warmed up in the all-whites, as everyone expected, as they've worn the past two years, only white bottoms. And then when uh, when the extinguishers came out and they came out of the locker room to actually play the game, came out with the orange britches. And so I think Dabo knows the value of these orange britches and how much it means not just to the fans, but to the program in general, dating back to the 80s with uh, Danny Ford bringing the one, uh, bring them out like that. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm going to stick to my belief. I'm going to stick to my faith here. Orange Bridges, hopefully for this weekend. 
I will say, as much as I don't like them, I have appreciated the hype on Twitter and people really looking forward to this and the possibility. It's not something we normally are discussing and that kind of stuff. So if it does happen, I'm not going to be upset about it. I think it'll be cool. You'll see a lot of excited fans. Oh, yeah. um, do we? Do you? If we do wear them, do you see us making a, a, a britches switch in the locker room, warm up in a different color? You know, I think that'd be cool. I think it'd be nice to have the all purple. You know, the, the crowd shows out really well. Um, one thing I was impressed with earlier in this year when we had the Ella Strong game, uh, you know, it was only social media. It wasn't, uh, uh, you know, from the university, but a mm-hmm. lot of gray in the crowd. And so we're going to see a lot of purple in the crowd on Saturday, no matter what. So I think it'd be cool if they did show out with the all purple and came out with the orange britches to uh, to run down the hill. Oh, yeah. I got an email today from Mip Tay. Telling everybody to wear purple, and they even included links for you to buy purple if you need it. Oh, there we go. All right, let's take a look at our uh, picks for this week. Week 11, as we mentioned at the top, Matthew has beaten me by two and a half points here. Um, But maybe in his absence, this is the week that I kind of uh, take control. We'll see. And then Juan is our celebrity guest picker. He's going to give us his picks for this week, too, for over, under, and uh, uh, I'm losing my train of thought. I'm trying to fix my screen. Uh, Favorite and underdog. All right, so since you are the guest, I'm going to let you give your favorite first. What is your favorite pick of the week, Juan? Favorite? I'm going to go bold here. Uh, Tennessee, fared by 20 and a half on the road uh, versus Mizzou. I think Tennessee has to know that they have to put some uh, some impressive performances out here to finish out and uh, sneak in. Uh, assuming that Georgia doesn't win the East there, and you know Tennessee sneaks into Atlanta, Tennessee knows these are the last three games. You got to show out. Twenty and a half point favorites on the road. I'm going to go all in on it. I think Tennessee wins by at least four scores. Okay, I looked at that one, and I don't know. I had hesitation that maybe. Maybe they were going to have a hangover game. I don't know. Mm-hmm. We'll see. Uh, but I did consider that one. Uh, Matthew gave me his picks. He is going with Clemson minus seven against Louisville. I've learned my lesson. I've stopped picking Clemson games. Um, <laughs> but more power to Matthew. Knowing knowing my luck, Matthew is going to hit on this one. So he thinks Clemson's going to win by more than seven, and I would love that. I would love that Saturday. Uh, my favorite pick is UCF versus Tulane. Tulane is a point-and-a-half favorite at home against UCF, um, Tulane undefeated team. Uh, I think I'm right in saying that, right? They're undefeated, right? They might have one loss, but I know they're ranked for the first time, I think, since the Tommy Bowden days of uh, Tulane being there. Yeah. So, uh, they, yeah, I'm going with that one for my pick there as my favorite point and a half. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll mark that one down. We'll see if uh, – that one gets back around to me in, in the positive category. How about your underdog pick? I'm going to go with a surprising here. I didn't expect them to be underdogs. Uh, TCU, the seven-point dogs on the road to DKR facing off against Texas here. Uh, Texas has been a crapshoot of a team this year to me. Uh, when Bijan Robinson can get things going, he's fantastic. But when he's not, this uh, often staggers a bit. Quinn Ewers is an amazing talent, but, you know, he's still a freshman himself. And I think that TCU uh, – knows that they've got to finish strong as well, much like Tennessee. Like I said earlier, TCU uh, had some come from behind victories. They need to kind of have a stranglehold on this game. And I do expect them not necessarily to blow out Texas, but to get a uh, more than one score victory on the road. I considered I considered that one. 
Uh, Matthew also went with that game, TCU plus seven points. Um, my only hesitation for that one was the fact that it was at Texas. Um, Texas played really well against Alabama early in the season when they mm-hmm. hosted Alabama. So uh, that was ultimately why I did not go with that one. Mine, um, I'm going a little different one. Uh, the the ones we've picked so far have been close spreads. I'm going a little different route. Indiana uh, as a 40-point underdog to Ohio State. Uh, I know Ohio State is a lot better than Indiana, but 40 points, that's a, that's a lot of points. That's so, a bit much, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I'm going uh, Indiana as a 40-point underdog, uh, going to cover that spread. Uh, your over. My over is going to be an SEC matchup, going against the uh, belief of the SEC defense here. Alabama at Ole Miss at 63 and a half. Uh, Alabama, when they played uh, the big games, they've been able to score a lot, and so has Ole Miss. And so these two teams have offenses that can get things firing. I mean, uh, famously, that 49 to 52 win for Tennessee in Knoxville against Alabama. So, I mean, we know these teams can score, and I think there's going to be a shootout this weekend uh, in this game. So give me Alabama and Ole Miss for the over. And that was what, 60? How, how many points? 63 and a half. 63 and a half. Yeah. I looked at that one. As well, myself, 63 and a half. That kind of that that's right there on that line. So I ultimately went away with that one. Matthew went with um Louisville at Clemson again. He, so he's picking this Clemson game twice. The over-under on that one is 51 and a half. I'm going with sticking with the SEC like you. Um, Georgia versus Mississippi State. The over-under in that is 53 and a half. Okay. I figure uh Mississippi State has put up a lot of points this year. Georgia's put up a lot of points this year. Granted, Georgia has a much better defense, uh, but I think that Mississippi State will probably uh, score an uncharacteristically amount of points, uh, a little less than what they normally do, uh, but I think Georgia's going to put up quite a few points as well. So went with Georgia, Mississippi State, 53 and a half. And then lastly, our under picks. And for my under, uh, I'm going to go with a Big Ten matchup here. Wisconsin at Iowa at 35 points and Ooh. if yeah 35 I'm I don't know the other that one. <laughs> uh Iowa is a is a very defensive minded team if they could go back to the uh pre John Heisman days they would and so they drag teams down with them and I don't uh, I don't uh, see Wisconsin and Iowa combining for 35 points this one's going to be a low maybe 14 to 3 14 to 10 type game so give me the under for 35 points there for Wisconsin at Iowa you do not see point totals <laughs> like that in college football in 2022. That one, no, I, I did not see that one. <laughs> uh, Matthew, uh, sticking there with the, with the Big Ten. Matthew went with Maryland uh, at Penn State at 59 and a half. Uh, and then I'm going back to the SEC, uh, LSU versus Arkansas uh, at 64 points. So. That rounds it out. We'll see how I do. We'll uh we'll update the listeners next week on how Juan, our celebrity guest picker, did. Yes, hopefully it's four and zero. I I wouldn't be surprised if you beat me with your picks because this season <laughs> has not gone well with me and my picks. So, um, yeah. All right. Before we wrap up the show, we can't not talk about the upcoming game against Louisville. So, since joining the league and overall. Clemson is undefeated against Louisville. The Tigers lead the series seven to nothing. And at home, the Tigers are three and zero against uh, Louisville. 
Clemson is attempting to clinch the ACC Atlantic Division outright. The Tigers are already guaranteed to represent the division at the ACC championship game by virtue of head-to-head, but they can win it outright this week. Thus, we're talking about purple jerseys and orange pants. Uh, Clemson's attempting to win its first eight games against a school for just the second time, uh, joining Clemson's wins uh, against Virginia, 29 consecutive games against Virginia to start that series. That was lopsided from the get-go. Yeah. (laughs) Clemson's entering the game, averaging 40.6 points per game against Louisville in seven all-time meetings, Clemson's highest all-time scoring average against opponent presently in the Power Five conference. Um, I don't think Clemson's going to hit forty point six points this week. I don't know about you, Juan. No, I don't. I don't expect it necessarily. I hope the offense does bounce back, but forty points is just a bit ambitious. <laughs> yeah, uh, Clemson is attempting. We we talked about a couple weeks ago. They broke that record uh, previously held by Bobby Bowden's Florida State team as far as the home win streak. Um, there, Clemson's currently at thirty eight and is attempting to tie the two thousand five to two thousand eleven Oklahoma Sooners with 39 for the ninth longest home winning streak uh, in FBS history. Uh, the Tigers are attempting to improve to 30-7 and seven in games following a loss under Dabo Sweeney, including season openers um, where a loss previously occurred in the, in the season finale. Clemson has not lost back-to-back games in the same season since November of 2011. So... A lot on the line here. Oh, yeah. um, I can't remember if we did this the last time you were on, but I recently started each week throwing out a trivia question for Matthew. Okay. Uh, so if you'll indulge me, I'll kind of uh, ask you this. Yeah, let's put me on the spot. Oh, but now my computer's freezing up. There we go. Um, what Clemson quarterback has put up the most yards through the air in the series with Louisville? So it has to be recent because we've only has played to be in, recent. Yeah, only, only seven matchups. Is this a, is this a career or is this a per game stat? Individual game stat. Individual game stat. Give me, give me Cole Stout. You were thinking correctly with the the mindset for it. It is not the obvious answer of Deshaun or Trevor. Yes. It is also not Cole Stout. It was 2017 Kelly Bryant. Ah, oh, yep. <laughs> threw for 316 yards through the air. 316 yards. Yeah, that's impressive for Kelly Bryant. He, uh, <laughs> yeah. he, he liked to move with his legs. So seeing that arm move a bunch was a that's impressive. Yeah, I wasn't expecting that one. That was an uncharacteristic. Uh, uh, performance there for Kelly Bryant. Uh, but then Deshaun Watson, the previous year in 2016, threw for 306. And then Trevor Lawrence in 2019, I think I accidentally cut one of these numbers off, but I believe it's 230. Um, so almost 100 more yards to the air of Kelly Bryant in 2017 than, than Trevor Lawrence, uh, which is, is quite impressive. Oh, yeah. Saturday's game against Louisville will be Clemson's 29th Military Appreciation Day. Uh, the history of the special date uh, goes back to 1994 when Clemson had a special flyover for the Clemson versus Georgia Tech game on November 12th, just one day after Veterans Day, uh, which is this Friday. Clemson has a 24-4 and record in the previous 28 Military Appreciation Games. Uh, the Tigers have won 14 such games in a row with the last loss coming to the game you referenced previously. Virginia Tech in 2007. So, uh 14 game streak in this game. So, 
Tigers will look to keep that one alive. Oh, yeah, hopefully so. Uh, and then I like to kind of throw on this date kind of stats in there. Uh, so Saturday will be November 12th. On November 12th, 1960, Clemson defeated South Carolina by a score of 12-2 to in South Carolina's first appearance at Clemson. And then in 1966, Frank Howard won his 150th game on November 12th. Well, all time, but it occurred on November 12th and um, clinched at least a tie for the ACC championship with a 14-10 to victory over Maryland that day. Interesting. I knew, uh, I knew that Clemson and Carolina used to always play in Columbia for what was a big Thursday, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so 1960, that first one uh, in Clemson, a 12-2 to uh, shootout between the two South Carolina programs there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That was a uh, a big one there. <laughs> I was trying to pull up. Let's see if I can find it. Similar to that uh, passing yard stat with, uh, let's see, with Louisville. I was kind of surprised by the rushing or receiving. Uh, I'll just throw you out a, another bonus mm-hmm. trivia question because this one kind of shocked me. All right. I'll give you credit if you can name one of these receivers who was in the top three of reception yards against Louisville. Top three in reception yards. I'm going to go. Hunter Renfro. Nope. No. Okay. Mike Williams. Nope. <laughs> All right. So we got we got we got the we got the obvious ones out there. And uh that's why I said I'll give you credit if you can get one of them. One of them. These are not the names I was expecting to see in this top three. Jermon uh, uh Hopper. Jermon Hopper. Nope. <laughs> no. Ah. <laughs> so the top three, the leader in in uh, receiving yards, Ray uh-huh. Ray McLeod. Okay. Wow. He had 115 in 2017. Last season, Bo Collins and 104. Wow. And in 2016, Deion Kane with 98. Oh, Deion Kane. Yep. That's that's. It's one that slips by every once in a while. Very talented guy there. Uh, had a bit of a maligned uh, total career with Clemson, but just an incredible talent. Yeah, that's one of those ones like none of your big name obvious receivers are even in the top there. That, that one kind of struck me. I almost included that one as the the normal trivia question. But <laughs> um, do you have any kind of thoughts on 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 Louisville? I think Louisville is uh they have a bit of an advantage with the fact that they have an impressive running quarterback who also has a great arm in Malik Cunningham. Uh, Clemson struggles a bit with these running quarterbacks at least they have so far this year where uh these guys can gash for like 7 to 10 yards on uh, any given play. So Clemson tightens up their uh QB spies a bit and then they should have a good day, but expect Malik Cunningham to have a pretty good game on the ground and on and through the air there. I think it's going to be an interesting matchup and I think overall it's uh, going to be who can outlast two. Very similar to I think that first Deshaun Watson uh uh game where I think he broke his finger against Louisville in 2014 where I it's uh, going to be a, yeah. It's going to be a defensive stand at the end if Clemson's going to win it uh, this Saturday. I think it's going to be on the defense to hold Malik. Yeah, I think we see the defense kind of step back up, and I think we see the offense take a step forward this week. Um, One thing of note, uh, Clemson and Louisville have four common opponents. Um, That would be Syracuse, Florida State, Boston College, and Wake Forest. 
those common opponents. Clemson is 4-0. Uh, Louisville is 1-3. However, they're on a four-game win streak right now. In this four-game win streak, Louisville is outscoring its opponents 140-58. to Wow. Uh, so the defense is going to have to – they're going to have a tough job uh, containing Malik Cunningham. Um, so got a big game on the line. You got a score prediction before we wrap it up? Score prediction – Ultimately, the the line's right there at seven for Clemson. I uh, I think Clemson's biggest opponent every single week is not the uh, team they face, but the spread that they're given. So it'll be a close game there. Give me a thirty-one to twenty-eight final score for the Tigers. Oh, you and I once again are kind of thinking similarly. I'm going to say thirty-one twenty-seven. Wrapping up the show. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thank you, Juan, for for coming on with us. I appreciate you taking a couple hours out of your your Wednesday to to hang out with me on Zoom. Yeah, no, you know, I had a great time. Uh, I myself have my own podcast. So I have a little bit of experience with it, but uh, if I could plug my own self, it's a Hot Takes podcast. Hopefully we've got some episodes coming out soon as well, but I love being on this show. You and Matthew have been a gracious host for me, and uh, I'm glad to step into Matthew's shoes for this week while he gets to enjoy sunny Colorado. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you again. And yeah, if you don't follow Juan on uh, Twitter, uh he's a great follow I, I get a. I don't even remember what it was today you tweeted out something I think it was like you stumbled upon uh, your high school crushes <laughs> social yeah. media or something I he's great comic <laughs> relief to follow one on Twitter so if you yeah, don't if you, yeah if you want a <laughs> uh, if you want a, an interesting follow I'll say the least uh you should uh, follow me on Wanship 98 and that is on Twitter and anyone those follow uh would love to follow you guys back awesome well thank you Juan, and thank you to all our listeners Uh, As always, if you don't already, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, all of that great stuff. Uh, Get involved with the Twitter poll each week, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Peace.